Welcome to the Age Reversing Blueprint Podcast, where we discuss tools and tips to help you reverse your age naturally. I think that in longevity, the biggest discovery, and that is, again, in its definition, it's the repair system of the body. You have an injury, it triggers the release of stem cells, and then it calls stem cells to that organ to repair. It is largely known now that stem cells will only migrate in a tissue that has an injury. If you release stem cells today, the bulk of the stem cells will go where there is an injury. So if you look at them on that day or within a few days, but in the background, and that is to me one of the biggest discoveries in the world of stem cells is that they are the repair system, but in the background, to a lesser extent, they are the maintenance system. If you look three months later, the stem cells that were released significantly three months ago, they're now in your heart, in your liver, in your brain, in your pancreas, in your lungs. They're everywhere in your body. We have this general idea that you're born, you age, and your organs start to fail because you've lost cells and function in your tissues. So when you're 60 years old, you have a 60-year-old liver. And this is not true. When you're 60 years old, you have a two, three-year-old pancreas, a two, two three-year-old liver, a four to six-year-old pancreas. Uh, uh, you have a, half of a new heart every 25 years. You have a new lining of the intestine every five days, a new skin every month. Everything is constantly in turnover means you lose cells every day, but in order to stay healthy, you need to replace the cells that are being lost. That is one of the primordial role of stem cells is keeping you healthy as you age. The crux of the whole problem in terms of longevity is that your stem cells that are produced by red marrow, you are bone with red marrow, but that red marrow converts into yellow marrow fairly early in, your, in our lives. By age 30, we have lost 90% of our red marrow. And that means somewhere in your 30s, you cross that line where you no longer have enough stem cells in circulation to fully offset that turnover process that is just natural. And from that day, you start to accumulate a day-to-day -day deficit that will, in 10, 15, 20 years down the road, will be any one of your age-related diseases that is expressed in your health by an organ that has developed a deficiency because it cannot repair effectively. There's a way to test if truly stem cells play that kind of role in health and longevity. We simply have to count the number of stem cells naturally present in the blood of people who have developed any one of those so-called age-related diseases and compare that with what you find in healthy people of the same age. If you count the number of stem cells in people who have developed erectile dysfunction, hypertension, atherosclerosis, heart disease, diabetes, liver failure, COPD, lung disease, cardiac heart disease in general, Parkinson, Alzheimer's, lupus, arthritis. I mean, the list is growing. Anytime they look at it, we find the same thing. All these people have on average 50% or less than the number of stem cells that we find in a healthy person of the same age. Meaning, because you have fewer stem cells in circulation, you cannot compensate for cellular loss every day. You will lose your health faster than somebody who has more stem cells. It therefore becomes the core of your longevity strategy. It's not the only thing, but it becomes the core of your longevity strategy. All right, so our next guest is Christian Drapeau. He is a stem cell scientist, author and creator of the first stem cell supplement. He holds a graduate degree in neurophysiology, and he's been involved in medical research for 30 plus years, of which the last 20 years have specifically been dedicated to stem cell research. He's the author of five books, including the best-selling Cracking the Stem Cell Code. He has published dozens of scientific papers on brain research and biological process processes, which we'll be asking about is the endogenous stem cell mobilization. He's lectured over 50 countries on stem cell research. He's known by scientists, physicians, and biohackers alike as the expert and pioneer in this field. Thank you so much for being here today, Christian. I, I could go on, but I want to get into the, into the good stuff here today. Thank you. Thank you. My pleasure.
Yeah. So I, I, you know, I like to prepare for these, uh, these interviews and I've done some research and I know that in 94, you started with your blue green algae research, but it wasn't really until 2001 where the article that you read turning blood into brain. Um, and like you said as well, a lot of these times, these amazing research articles come out, but they don't really register a glitch in the radar. Uh, why was it that that uh, article turning blood into brain was so profoundly changing for you? Well, to, to tell the truth, uh, this article was sent to me uh, soon after it was published, and it sat on my desk for probably three, four months. Uh, so I read it the first time, and it did not register. And I was cleaning my desk, and that paper was still there on my desk, and then I read it again. And then that's when slowly the thought started to, to trickle. And it, and it, we need to look at it in the context of where we were at the time. So we had published not long before um, that polysaccharide from that blue-green algae were stimulating NK cell migration in tissues. So in the back of my mind was that data that there was something in this blue-green algae that mobilized immune cells taken in, you know, very broadly. My background is brain research. I know, we know, we were told that we cannot make new neurons. So, to, so finally reading that paper and reading that stem cells from the bone marrow could go to the brain and becoming a brain cell, which is a type of cells that we were told in neurology, you cannot regenerate your brain. I knew from just my basic class of med class that stem cells are only known to be precursors to blood cells. And suddenly I'm thinking, wait a minute, we're talking about release of stem cells migrating into a tissue. And we showed that blue-green algae was supporting migration of NK cell. So this sort of amorphous idea started to, to, to shape itself in my brain, thinking that what if that plant could support the migration of stem cells in tissues. So it's really it just reading it, and it started to be an answer, a potential answer to a question that uh, that we had for a number of years. We did not have a way of explaining how this plant was leading to benefits touching so many aspects of human health. Right. Okay. So going forward from there, because I I really want to get your insight on this and how research continues to propel us forward. But there's been a lot of skepticism with the landscape and the controversy of stem cells. So given that that article just sort of planted the seed for you, Christian, tell us about where we come from or what the initial, I guess, landscape was in terms of how stem cells and even more plant-based support for stem cells has been was initially received and where it is now. You know, the, I, I really like these questions because to me, Everything that we're facing and, and we're looking at right now in terms of what we have done with, with plants, but also the whole landscape of stem cell research, to me, is an amazing example of the real life of scientific discoveries and scientific development, the interaction of scientific development with business development, uh, with policy development. And all of this was so complex that if we knew today so if we knew then what we knew today, I guarantee you, we would not have today the landscape that we have. Things would have evolved differently. Uh, so, and I'll come back to that in a second. So when the first observations were made, so we're in early 2000, 2001, that stem cells known for decades to be precursors to blood cells, when they were finally known to have the ability of becoming cells of many different tissues, at first, the observation or the belief was that, okay, we're ready to accept that they can be more than just blood cells, but we're not ready to accept that they can become everything. Yet the data was there, right there. When I'm talking about the process of scientific discovery, we can observe and, and document the only, only things that we can accept. If there's something that we cannot accept, we can observe it, but we're blind to its observation to a degree. So my point is that Early 2000, already data was clear. Stem cells can become everything in the body. But there was a, a reluctance of really accepting it. Um, and then accepting that the stem cells in your bone marrow can do it very well. So it pushed into the direction of 
Okay, then let's go to the closest that we have to, to uh, embryonic stem cells, which is umbilical stem cells. So now it led to the development of all these banking of cells and everything that is done with umbilical stem cells, which I'm not saying is not good or does not have its place, but it did develop at a time when we did not fully accept that stem cells from the bone marrow had all the potential that we know today that they have. If we knew that and accepted that from, from, from first, like from the beginning, we probably would not have the incentive of going and collecting umbilical cord stem cells. So I'm giving snippets here of, of, of the whole development uh, of, of, of this world, if you want, this stem cell world. Now, when all of this has been developed, systems of collection, system of banking, systems of multiplication, cryopreservation, and all of that, you just don't say, well, let's drop all of this and let's turn to bone marrow stem cells because they're just as good, which is not like, 100% true. All I'm saying is that the landscape would be different today had we known these things earlier on. So the knowledge developed, but essentially what emerged, and which is really the area that I've pushed a lot, is this understanding that if stem cells have enormous regenerative potential, they're not better because we take them out of a source and put them back in. They have intrinsically this kinds of regenerative potential. So if they do have this, what is their role in the body? And when we discover that stem cells are the natural role, the natural repair system of the body, then the question is, is there anything stronger to help you be healthy or improve your health if you have a problem than to tap into your body's ability to repair? And that is where I have studied the most because we ended up discovering plants, the one that we talked about uh, earlier. Uh, we discovered plants that trigger the release of stem cells from the bone marrow. So it created this old view of saying, okay, instead of removing stem cells and re-injecting them, uh, which is basically increasing the number of stem cells in circulation through an injection, what if we increase the number of stem cells in circulation simply by boosting the release of our own stem cells, which is the whole field now of plant-based stem cell uh, enhancers. Right. No, that's really great. And, you know, the name of this podcast is The Age Reversing Blueprint. And I like the idea that you have shared in the sense that the real the real marker of age is how well our our stem cells are able to be released to be this protective layer of of renewals and um but with that being said maybe just let's kind of start from the beginning where someone that might be listening to this where we do tend to go a little more deeper and in, uh, into the weeds but are wondering what are stem cells and what do they do? And I've heard that there's different kinds. Maybe just kind of give us an overview there first, Christian, and then we can kind of elaborate going forward. Okay, without going too deep into like the various types of stem cells, let's put it this way. The best way to define to me a stem cells is first to define what is not a stem cells and then we exclude that. Every cell of the body are called somatic cells. They're cells that have one specific function. They will never change their function. Like if you have a, an injury into your muscle because you, you went to the gym, the gym and you sort of over-exercise, you won't have a, a cell of your skin looking down to your bicep and just say, gee, that muscle needs assistance. Let me go and become a muscle cell. It won't happen. A somatic cell is, does one thing. It will never change. To a large extent, it will never multiply. This is, this is a somatic cells. At the other end of the spectrum, you have stem cells. They are sort of blank cells, mother cells, having the ability of becoming everything in the body. And not only do they have the ability, but they do so during the entire life of an individual. So these are stem cells. There is one type of stem cells, primordial cells, if you want, in your bone marrow. When you're born, your bone marrow has these stem cells. They are the remnant of what it was one day, your uh, embryonic stem cell, when you were one cell on the day of your conception. So these evolves, you became the whole organism, and you're born with a bank of stem cells in your bone marrow. These stem cells, and you also have stem cells in every single one of your tissue. They are tissue resident specific stem cells specific for that tissue. Now, these stem cells in tissues are normally known as progenitor cells. Uh, and then you have cells for various tissues, for example, one that is sort of well talked about, endothelial progenitor cells. There are stem cells in your blood that will become blood vessels. But you have these progenitor cells in every single one of your tissue. Their job is to repair that tissue and to maintain that tissue during your life. 
but these stem cells will get exhausted fairly rapidly, fairly early in life. So they need to be replenished. So they are replenished by stem cells from the bone marrow going into your blood, replenishing these tissues. As stem cells reach tissues, get into these tissues, and sometimes gets released again, gets recaptured by the bone marrow. As we age, it brings a level of heterogeneity, uh, uh, if you want, in your bone marrow, where you can start to have all kinds of different stem cells in your bone marrow. Um, so I won't go into all these different subtypes because at the end, what is I think important to understand is that there is stem cells in your bone marrow, they're released, they go into your tissue, and that cycle of providing stem cells to tissues continues during the entire life of an individual. Let me just state one type of stem cells that I think is very important to, to know. And they're, they've been referred into uh, the, the, the scientific history, if you want, over the past 15 years or so as in different names. Uh, they've been called embryonic-like stem cells. They've been called blastomere-like stem cells. Uh, sorry, embryonic-like, very small embryonic-like stem cells, blastomere-like stem cells, uh, and, and a few other names. Essentially, they are a stem cell that is the size of a platelet, and you identify them or they were discovered when you suddenly start to, because platelets don't have DNA. So you suddenly start to tag for DNA, and you see that cell that is the size of a platelet that has DNA, and if you use a marker for stem cells, you see that it marks for stem cells as well. So they are full-blown stem cells, and they happen to be the absolutely most potent stem cells in the human body. So uh, they reside in the bone marrow, in muscle, they're in different places. And, uh, and they're interesting because right now it's growing in the scientific literature, different ways of tapping into very small embryonic-like stem cells. So they're interesting to know. But essentially, that's sort of the landscape of stem cells. Right. Okay. And then the other classification that I've heard you say is just the embryonic stem cells up until what day eight, if is that, and then anything after Correct. that would be considered adult stem cells and that the embryonic stem cells, not to be confused with the embryonic like stem cells um, mm -hmm. are being used more for medical drug purposes and not to be injected into the human body. One of the questions Correct. I had just as an aside was, are they starting to study the teratomas in terms of, okay, so a teratoma is this gnarly, you know, has all these different types of um, cells, whether it's bone or eye or heart and the danger of trying to put that in the heart and, and mm -hmm. differentiating into cardiac tissue. I'm curious though, if they're doing studies to see how the different I guess signaling molecules are or the the terrain is for that teratoma to have that specific characteristic to be able to have more I idea of why it differentiated into those types of cells. Do you know if they're well, studying that? I don't know if they're studying that specifically, but they're doing something similar in the sense that uh, the embryonic stem cells is designed to become various types of tissue. So it's hard to make the embryonic stem cells not become these different tissues. Uh, but right now, most of that work is done with induced pluripotent stem cells. So they take like a cell of your skin, for example, and they go and they turn on the four or so genes that normally are turned on in a stem cell, in an embryonic stem cells. Uh, so, so they give back stemness, if you want, in one of your cells. So it's taking one of your cell as an individual today, turning it back as what looks like an embryonic stem cells and what is technically an embryonic stem cell. And then we're trying to make that stem cells become cells of your heart, for example, to rebuild a new heart for you. So this is now a big, big line of research. But the problem is indeed, that is a cancer cell. A cancer cell is a cell that has reactivated those same genes. So it is like playing with, with like a bomb in yourself. It can develop into a tumor and that's what a teratoma is. So that thing, they're trying to restrict the conversion of these induce pluripotent stem cells in tissues other than the one that we want. So uh, so that is really where it is right now. And I think when you were asking the question, uh, Joel, I think it was, I felt like it, it might be interesting to give just a little bit of background on this whole world of embryonic stem cells. Sure. We have had the sheep dolly. We have had, you remember in the 80s, where they start to clone sheep, they clone dogs, they clone mice, they clone, the, they clone different types of animals, but they had never been able to clone a human embryonic stem cell. 
That is the discovery in 1998 that reopened this whole field because if you can clone a sheep or a dog, then it's giving us, giving humans, scientists, this idea, what if we could, in a, te in a test tube, in a lab, what if we could clone a, you as a human, as a human, just to make a new heart for you so that I can replace your heart for you with your own heart. That was the whole idea of this dream of what we could do eventually one day if we can uh, grow human embryonic stem cells. And in 1998, this became possible. So it just brought back this whole idea that, my goodness, we could be able to grow organ. But rapidly, it, we faced two conflicts. Number one, the ethical conflict of cloning human bodies, human beings, uh, which we never went over, and I don't think we should. I think it was a good thing. But number two is that it's not actually a doable thing because embryonic stem cells are not made to become a heart or a liver. They're made to become a whole fully formed organism. So, And that is teratoma. So if you implant an embryonic stem cells in the, in the skin, for example, it's going to form a teratoma, which is all kinds of tissues, a lump of everything, which is a tumor. And that's the limitation of embryonic stem cells. So people look back at, at bone stem cells in the bone marrow, adult stem cells, and the thought was like, well, but they're limited. They're just stem cells in the bone marrow. They don't have the same power. And it took many years to realize that adult stem cells actually have the same power as embryonic stem cells with one difference, which is a mega difference, but it works in our advantage, is that an adult stem cells will become cells of the tissue in which, in which it, it, it migrates or in which you place it. So you put in the heart, it will become a heart cell like an embryonic stem cells, but just a heart cell not other types of tissues. So it's the power of embryonic stem cells to an extent, but without the risk of tumor formation. So now stem cells from the bone marrow became really the focus of everything that we have today, you know, on in the world of stem cells. In, right. so in, in sort of a brief summary here of the historical development of this, this excitement in stem cell well, research. To continue the conversation along this, this, this idea, uh, Christian, is in terms of, I know the the new research is if we further classify that into mesenchymal and into hematopoietic, we now know a lot more that hematopoietic is not just for necessarily. So maybe give us some insight on what we've learned with those now going forward. Yeah, you know th this is another. When I was talking about this being a good example of scientific development, that is another amazing example. And it is the fact that what do we do as scientists? I mean, and and I'm not I'm not criticizing. This this process. It's just a natural thing to do. We classify things. Just look at, you go in nature and you find a new plant species, you put a label on it, you put a name on it, and of that name, you can go in the literature and find tons of things, not on that plant that is in front of you, but all the research that was done with other plants that because of the name now, you associate it with the plant that is in front of you. That's what we do in science. We label things and then we start to manage the labels more than the thing itself. And now that's what happened with stem cells. So you have hematopoietic stem cells, you put a label on it. Now these could only do this. Now you have another type of stem cells, we call them mesenchymal stem cells because they originally into embryonic development, they come from the mesoderm, which is one of the layer of the, of the embryos. So they've got the name of where they come from, mesenchymal stem cells, and they are essentially in the bone marrow. But when people start to isolate mesenchymal stem cells, they just happen. The observation is that if you take them, you put them in a test tube, and you just turn around the test tube, empty your test tube, those mesenchymal stem cells stick to the glass. So it became a very simple method to, to isolate mesenchymal stem cells. And later it was discovered that if you take liver tissue, for example, you grind it and you do the same thing, you have liver stem cells that now sticks to the, to, the, to, the, to the vial, and stem cells from various tissues. So that means they are mesenchymal stem cells, but they no longer come from the mesoderm. So the point is that suddenly that term that described where they're coming from, which was the label and the understanding that we have of cell lineage, now suddenly we realize it's completely changed. 
they have used stem cells from the liver that they transform into pancreatic cells making insulin, for example. They've used hematopoietic stem cells, believed to only be blood precursors, and they were able to transform them into muscle cells, into liver cells. So my point here is just to say, we've classified cells, and that's why I was telling you earlier on, to go into all these different types of stem cells, I think is opening Pandora's box. It's not as clear that these are truly different stem cells and not stem cells at different stem cells globally at different stage in development. There is such a thing about classifying them, but I don't think that that classification is as clear and fixed as we would like to, to see them. Right. No, thank you for elucidating that. So as far as I remember you talking about speaking at a conference and then talking to a doctor and you said that you were the person that was presenting and he was skeptical about the the research. Where are we now? I mean, as as research advances and we realize that the differentiation of of different categorized uh, stem cells can now break the mold and go to different places where we didn't know before. Uh, where are we now in this? Because I know there's controversy in terms of, you know, you're using uh, embryos and, and so forth, and it can't, once there's enough uh, stem cells in, in circulation, it doesn't mean anything. And where have we come from the trajectory of where we've been? I mean, in terms of that event that you're referring to, and for listeners just to, to understand, I'm using that as an example, not because right. it, it affected right. me, it, it did not. Not specific but, person, but in general, yeah. I think it's a, yeah. a good, so, yeah. Yeah, so in 2007, uh, I'm, I'm, I was talking about a number of uh, events or instances where people just told me, I'm summarizing here in a funny statement, but these are actual words that were said. Uh, son, let me just tell you, thinking that stem cells can become brain cells, you know, you're just an idiot. And, and the point is that in 2007, although, go back to this article, Turning Blood into Brain, this was 2001, there was six years of documentation, publication of stem cells capable of becoming brain cells. And yet, the gap between research and academia, research and medical practice is such that in 2007, this was still largely unknown. Uh, but but the, the, the concept itself has gone so far in the marketplace that honestly, I don't think today I come across anybody in the scientific literature, sorry, in the, in the medical profession who is going to express any doubt as to whether stem cells can become cells of various tissues, uh, where we have a challenge, and it's not even a challenge, it's really just a matter of education. Right now, the, the open-mindedness to this is, is, is like light and day compared to what it was. But it's more to say, those stem cells that right now, uh, you go to a place to get an injection, it's a treatment. It's, it's to me, when I share this with the medical profession, it, and it's to say, those stem cells, they come from your body to begin with. They're either in your blood, in your bone marrow, in your fat tissue, so they're there to begin with. They're not better because we take them out and, and put them back in. So what about as a stem cell modality to increase the number of circulation, not through an injection, but by supporting the release of your own stem cells, something that is not a one-time intervention, but you can do this every day for long periods of time. And now we have a number of ongoing studies and, and case documentation to show that it can have a significant impact on health. So it's that concept of releasing your own stem cells. That is what I'm most engaging into, into like providing education. But the response right now is light and day compared to what it was. Gotcha. Okay. So which is a good transition into longevity and why is stem cells potentially a problem as we age? What happens with that? And ultimately, what you know, as we go from there, what can we do endogenously or from within to be able to support that? So <clears throat> I think that in longevity, the biggest discovery, and that is, again, total open-mindedness like I don't I don't nobody is challenging it however few people have seen that kind of information so it's a novel concept on the marketplace uh, on, on the on the scientific uh, in the scientific world and it's the understanding that while stem cells are primordially not true 
uh, I will have to walk back that statement. I would say at the core, in its definition, it's the repair system of the body. You have an injury, it triggers the release of stem cells, and then it calls stem cells to that organ to repair. I was in, at a conference in Turkey. It was the uh, International Society for Stem Cell Application about two, three weeks ago. And in that conference, there is a doctor who said, uh, so it is largely known now that stem cells will only migrate in a tissue that has an injury. And it's interesting because this is three weeks ago and it is not untrue. If you release stem cells today, the bulk of the stem cells will go where there is an injury. So if you look at them on that day or within a few days, yes, this the statement is true. But in the background, and that is, to me, one of the biggest discoveries in the world of stem cells is that they are the repair system, but in the background, to a lesser extent, they are the maintenance system. If you look three months later, the stem cells that were released significantly three months ago, they're now in your heart, in your liver, in your brain, in your pancreas, in, in, in your lungs. They're everywhere in your body. And my point with this, if I go to the conclusion of all of this, is that we have this general idea that you're born, you age, and your organs start to fail because you've lost cells and function in your tissues. So when you're 60 years old, you have a 60-year-old liver that is starting to struggle. A 60-year-old lung or pancreas starting to struggle, and this is not true. When you're 60 years old, you have a two, three-year-old pancreas, a, four to six, a two, 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 three-year-old liver, a four to six-year-old pancreas. Uh, uh, you you have a, half of a new heart every 25 years. Uh, you have a new lining of the intestine every five days, a new skin every month. Everything is constantly in turnover, constantly. Turnover means you lose cells every day, but in order to stay healthy, you need to replace the cells that are being lost. That is one of the primordial role of stem cells is keeping you healthy as you age. The problem, the crux of the whole problem in terms of longevity is that your stem cells that are produced by red marrow, you are born with red marrow, but that red marrow converts into yellow marrow fairly early in, your, in our lives. By age 30, we have lost 90% of our red marrow. And that means in somewhere in your 30s, you cross that line where you no longer have enough stem cells in circulation to fully offset that turnover process that is just natural. And from that day, you start to accumulate a day-to-day -day deficit that will in 10, 15, 20 years down the road will be any one of your age-related diseases that is expressed in your health by an organ that has developed a deficiency because it cannot repair effectively. So I published this view 10 years ago in a journal uh, called uh, Journal of Stem Cell Research and Therapies. And with this science emerging, I, I wrote, there's a way to test if truly stem cells play that kind of role in health and longevity. We simply have to go and count the number of stem cells naturally present in the blood of people who have developed any one of those so-called age-related diseases and compare that with what you find in healthy people of the same age. And at this point, many of these studies have been done. If you count the number of stem cells in people who have developed erectile dysfunction, hypertension, atherosclerosis, heart disease, diabetes, liver failure, COPD, lung disease, uh, heart, uh, cardiac, heart failure, cardiac, heart disease in general, Parkinson, Alzheimer's, lupus, arthritis. I mean, the list is growing. Anytime they look at it, we find the same thing, muscle dystrophy. All these people have on average 50% or less than the number of stem cells that we find in a healthy person of the same age. Meaning, because you have fewer stem cells in circulation, you cannot compensate for cellular loss every day you will lose your health faster than somebody who has more stem cells. It therefore becomes the core of your longevity strategy. It's not the only thing, but it becomes the core of your longevity strategy. Allow your body to maintain the health of your organ as you age. I hope you're getting tremendous value from our content and learning how to slow your rate of aging. I have a really exciting announcement. I've just completed the complete age-reversing blueprint 
user guide and complete with learning how to not just slow your rate of aging, learning nutritional bioenergetics, learning about circadian rhythm entrainment, the six key factors that you need to be aware of, learning how to make sure that the environment isn't accelerating your age-related biomarkers, and of course, mastering your sleep. This course is going to be retailing for $997, but as a gift for me to you for watching our content and subscribing to our channel, I'm going to be giving this away for free, just for a limited time only. Wow. Leave your name and email, and I'll be sure to send you the complete age-reversing blueprint user's guide right away. That's wonderful. And I wanted to talk to you about that. I have it written down here is, is stem cell homeostasis, right? And being able to take monitor. And I, I explain to people simply when I'm working with them, when they're exhausted and burnt out, I look at it as supply and demand, right? And if you have more demand than supply, a lot of bills aren't getting paid. And if you have more supply than demand, then you can pay back some bills that you hadn't paid in a while. And I think that was echoing the fact, and I was curious, I was going to ask you, A, how do we actually measure this, the, uh, the stem cells? Because I've listened to a lot of your interviews, but I never heard that. And B, when you determine that these aren't quite primordial, but they do go and after they've gone to the tissue injury, they can now go circulate in other places and repair those tissues as well. Was that done through somehow signature or some kind of following those partic particular stem cells that had been released, uh, Christian, to know where they went afterwards? Yeah. T t it, I mean, these are, I would say, oddities. It's data that you find in the scientific literature. I would not generalize that information to say stem cells can go in a tissue, leave, go somewhere else, that this is like a common process. I won't say that. What, I, what I'm saying is just that this understanding that one stem cell has started to commit in a certain lineage, it can never revert back and go into another lineage. Data exists to show that when you marked stem cells in the liver or you isolate a stem cell from the liver and then you put it in the pancreas, it starts to become a pancreatic cell producing insulin. That was shown as to be a possibility. So that's, that's really what I meant when I shared that kind of information. Right. So, uh, so to come back to your your previous question, we quantify stem cells generally speaking using flow cytometry. So it's a machine which is essentially a tube, very very fine tube. So you when you inject cells in that tube, they line up one behind the other, they flow in that fine tube, and there's a place where you get a number of laser in a photo photosensitive receptor sensor and then it would sense all kinds of things colors luminosity radiance uh size because when you have a laser there's a shadow if there's a cell so it measures the size of the shadow so you get all kinds of of data about the cell and you can use markers so you can use a marker for a stem cell with a red dye a marker for a primitive stem cells or in advanced stem cells progenitor cells so at the end with all these markers using a flow cytometer that has several of these layers Lasers, you can start to document how many cells you are that are stem cells, young stem cells, advanced stem cells, stem cells committed, not committed, all that kind of stuff. Small, so now you have your V cells. So that's how you count stem cells in a, in a scientific manner. Now, the tools to do this, the famous flow cytometer, is not a common piece of, in, uh, piece of equipment. So you won't find that, that into your normal blood lab you know, where you go to do a blood test. So st counting stem cells is not a common thing to do. So you could not go today and just have your stem cells counted unless you know a lab where they have this machine and they will agree to do that test for you. If they do, and it happens, I have seen it, it may cost you one, $2,000 to get your cell count. And this being said, with what we know of stem cells, their fluctuations during a day, their fluctuations day to day, uh, one measurement is probably not going to give you like your measurement. So we might have to do this two, three times to get some sort of an average of what would be your baseline number of stem cells. Uh, so given the cost of these tests, the cost of the equipment, the rarity of these equipment, then it's not something that is easy to do. I'm working on developing right now a piece of equipment. It's really just a matter of having the time to finalize all of this. So I'm getting into this. Hopefully we can reach that in 2023, but on a piece of equipment that may cost 
five thousand dollars to put into uh, into a, a a clinic or lab uh, to 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 really be able to count the number of stem cells in a way that may not be as precise as what you would do with a flow cytometer, but it's enough to be able to tell you you are in that range of stem cells. So you should know that right now you are at risk for developing a problem uh, in you know in 10 to 20 years. Because what I want to do now as I'm working on doing a meta-analysis of the entire scientific literature throughout all the studies, I believe that we can derive a number of stem cells that we can consider is a uh, is a threshold. If you go below that number of stem cells, you will be considered somebody that has fewer stem cells than what would be average or, or a healthy population. So you are at risk for developing these age-related problems. So now we can understand stem cell fact, stem cell number as a risk factor. We can quantify it. And now we have plant-based uh, compounds that we can help and take every day to put more stem cells in circulation. So that's kind of the landscape of where I'm going with all of this. It's really interesting. And I think that there is a need for that. And we talked about this beforehand, which one thing I really like about what you're doing is the, uh, the, the Dietary Supplement Health and Education Act, where you don't want to just have charlatan-like claims about this is going to turn your age back and it worked for me, but you want to have a structure function function thing. Before we get into what it actually does and what are the compounds that it's doing that are being used, uh, the question would be until then, until there's that machine that's out there, what other biomarkers or are you aligning yourself with, have you looked into DNA methylation or have you looked into other types of biomarkers that could be correlated quite strongly and be a proxy for that level of stem cell or would it be more subjective? I'm older. I don't feel as well. Looking at some inflammatory markers, what what would be a good, uh, I guess, what would it be called? A good, um, just stand in until then. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. Very interesting question. I hope my answer will be as interesting. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> right now, until we have a marker, I would say the best way to see how many stem cells you have in your blood would be the next time you have an injury, a cut, something, or you go to the gym, you work out like super hard and you know you'll be sore the day after. How long are you sore? What is your real recovery or healing time? And that is going to be your main marker for how many stem cells you have in circulation. If you have a cut, within a week, that cut should be closed. And within three weeks, it should be pretty much done. If it's longer than this, you don't have, or if you form a keloid scar, like a scar that is really visible, that means the lack of stem cells in circulation forced your local fibroblasts and your skin to, to seal that, that scar, that cut. Uh, or you go to the gym and then your recovery time is longer. That means you don't have enough stem cells to repair the micro lesions that are the source of the inflammation. So these are like things that you can observe in your life and they'll give you a clue that you don't have a lot of stem cells. I have not so far, aside from the, the technique that I'm telling you I'm working on to count stem cells, I have not looked at markers. And I'm not saying that there might not be one that we could use. My first reaction with markers, because understand these markers have showed up on the marketplace after I started all this journey on stem cells. And as these markers are evolving and you come and you say, gee, I was able to remove, to shave, let's say three years on my biological age, you know, and it's great. I'm using some of the plants that we have documented act as stem cell mobilizer, and I can reverse severe Parkinson in an individual. I can take somebody on a heart transplant list and within a few months is a normal, he has normal heart function. We have people with spinal cord injuries that are regaining mobility. Does it really matter whether they are three years younger in their biological age? So, so I'm looking at what we get with stem cell mobilizers and I'm really looking at the landscape and I'm almost thinking, if you give me the choice between gaining greater functionality, greater quality of life, like much greater functionality in life, repairing my heart or getting three years younger on the marker, it doesn't tell you you're younger. It's telling you that marker that has been with a mix of marketing and science tied to something that we call your biological age, which is really just a marker and a concept, which one do you choose? 
And for me, it was like, it's so obvious that I'm going to boost my ability to repair. So, so I've looked at this probably making a mistake, looking at this without too much focus. So, but, but the way the market is developing, I think the place is there to start to look at what kind of markers could be associated with stem cell function aside from counting the number of stem cells, which to me in my world right now is going to be one of the most important marker for longevity. How many stem cells do you have in your blood today? Because it will tell me how healthy you'll be in 10 years. Yeah, if we can come up with the uh, continual stem cell, you know, you know, monitor would be fantastic. Uh, I'm thinking though. So I know as far as some of these hallmark longevity uh, markers like VO2 max, hand grip strength, force exploratory <clears throat> volume, that they can look at a person's DNA methylation profile and, and kind of get an understanding of those that are in the top 99th percentile of those particular markers, what that, what that DNA methylation profile looks like and use that as a signature to benchmark other, other things for. The reason I bring it up is I agree with you. I agree that we want to feel better. I mean, the proof is in the pudding. Am I feeling younger? Am I more active? Am I enjoying my life? I agree. But these are people, at least that I've seen, that are been told that nothing's wrong, that their lab tests are normal, that everything's okay, and they feel like crap. And they want to have some kind of validation of what they're doing is working, right? So mm -hmm. I, I ask it from that point, not so much in terms of, oh, let prove it to me that it's working yeah. or not. You know what I mean? So uh, I don't know if you wanted to add on that or just give me any comments on that. No, or, I, I, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm with you. I, I think that they're right. definitely valuable things to look at, uh, but I'm saying exactly what you said. If you markers are all good, uh, blood markers are all good, but you feel like crap, the point is like, what is it going to, what is going to change your feeling like crap? And right. to me, that is really what matters. And it could pass through some markers. Um, right. um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I had a discussion not long ago with somebody who was really deep into these markers. And what she was sharing is that uh, she said, here I am, my biological age apparently has increased two years, but I'm feeling great. And I have this friend of mine who apparently her biological age, she shaved three years, but she said, she's feeling like crap. So right. she was putting in, in, in just in... In um, in context, the fact that it, it's biological age is a concept. I'm not saying it has no value, but it's right. a concept. And calling it biological age makes us, in our mind, cross that gap and just say, "I might biologically, I'm younger," because we use it as a concept. And all I'm saying is that it's really just a concept. We have some markers that have changed. To me, quality of life and your ability to enjoy your life is by far the greatest marker. For sure. and, that we, and that we can tie it with stem cells. And right, then that's where stem cells come in, right? So as far as that goes, I, I'm always interested in, in your, your methodology and your open-mindedness as far as being a brain neurophysiologist and asking the outside question, okay, why? And I got to investigate this. And if this is working for someone, it, it means that there's something within this that's giving me insight as to explore deeper. And, and I like the idea that you would ask a couple people, okay, tell me what the one, if you were stuck on an island, what would be the one supplement that would you would use or nutrient that you would use to give you the overarching biggest benefit? Just curious, how, how did your brain work in terms of, well, that's got to be reparative, that's got to be protective, that's got to be stem cell based. I'm curious as to how how that kind of came in, like at what point you, you, you benchmarked the the question with the stem cell? I mean, honestly, <clears throat> I don't know if I have a good answer for that question. I'm, I'm a scientist. I'm born that way. You know, every time I looked at something, I want to understand it. I poke it. I study it. I, um, I've, I've, I've just like, I'm a, I, I would probably be a pathetic uh, clinician. Uh, I'm just not good with like evaluating people and, and following them in the treatment. Um, I, I'm a researcher. So with that sort of mindset, when I look at something, um, yeah, I just I just try to dissect it and and understand you know understand how it works and so facing those cases with that plant this blue green algae not having an understanding for it uh, in terms of a mechanism of action 
coming across this article about the brain, then the, those ideas came up. Now they had to be tested. So we tested them. Uh, and after we tested them and we found that indeed it was correct, that plant was acting as a stem cell mobilizer, my mind just immediately went into this place to say, what are the other plants? We evolved in symbiosis with the environment. There has to be other plants. Uh, just like the immune system, there's not only one plant having an effect on the immune system. There has to be others. How do you find them? We asked the exact same question. What plant has been associated with many benefits um, throughout history? And that's how we start to just investigate different plants. So it was. it's just like, I would say, just the, the scientific, the, the, following the process of scientific investigation. Right. Excellent. So now we do have the stem regen and give us an idea on, I guess, how you formulated it with the ingredients that you did or what the ingredients that are unique to that specific compound and give us some insight on, on what we have now. So it was just like everything else, like observations, scientific investigation. So we found the first plant, the blue-green algae. It's not the strongest, it was the first. Uh, and it's the one with which we have the, 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 the greatest amount of documentation just because it was the first. Then we came across across seabuckthorn berry extract from the Tibetan Plateau, uh, probably one of the most interesting plant. And, and I think you were referring to that because I shared that in, in, in some of, of the podcasts or some other stories or articles. I'm in China. Uh, I have access to a number of biochemists that have worked with plants that are part of the, the Chinese pharmacopoeia. And I asked them, okay, you're lost on an island and you can only bring one plant from Chinese pharmacopoeia, which one would it be? And I was expecting something exotic, something probably that I had never heard of. And they all said seabuckthorn berry. And I mean, it's, it's not by itself like exotic. Um, anyway, I went into the scientific literature, I started to dig, and I found a plethora of information uh, basically revealing that it's been used for more than 2,000 years in Chinese medicine, Tibetan medicine, Mongolian medicine, for disease of the lung, of the heart, cardiovascular system, diabetes, to help the body repair from burn, bone fracture, digestive system issues. So you look at the spread, and that was telling me stem cells. And we found that indeed, an extract from seabuckthorn berry from the Tibetan plateau uh, act as a stem cell mobilizer with a pharmacodynamics completely different from what we had with blue-green algae. So it's a different mechanism of action. So the synergy of developing stem regen was to blend ingredients that show different mechanisms of action. So that way, one builds on the other. Because oftentimes with the same mechanism of action, sometimes you add stuff, but it, it doesn't make it into a stronger product. The next big ingredient was aloe macroclata from Madagascar. And this is coming, uh, meeting a pharmacist who she had traveled in many countries in the world, like Papua New Guinea, the Congo, South America, looking for plants for Parkinson and Alzheimer's. And when I asked her, any is there a plan that the healers told you this plan is good for everything? Uh, of course, she says nothing is good for everything. Uh, so I gave her a copy of my book. And then when she came back, she says, I understand now. It's not a plan that does everything. It does one thing, releases stem cells, but people will experience it into very, you know, many kinds of ways. So she said, interesting, because I do have a plant from Madagascar on her last trip on the way to the airport, or guide and translator stop at a market, scoop a whole bag of these black beads and said, study that. But what do you do as a scientist when somebody says, study that? You know, if, if you study it for what? So it was in her freezer for five years. So she sent me those little beads and we did like we always do. We, we consumed those beads ourselves and we took our blood before and after. And we saw the biggest response that we had seen so far. So if I accelerate the whole story, aloe macroclata, endemic to Madagascar, used for centuries to make a product called Vahona, only in Madagascar. They use it for all kinds of health problems. It's so far the plant that has the, the strongest effect on stem cell release. So the first version of stem regen had those three ingredients. And I must add that along the way, as we studied things like goji berry, medicinal mushroom, and colostrum, which are also associated with many benefits, we found something different. These plants, uh, 
uh, and uh, or products with colostrum, they trigger the migration of stem cells out of the blood into tissues. This is a part that is very poorly documented in the scientific literature. But to me, it makes so much sense. If stem cells need to migrate to go and repair, and we can release them from the bone marrow, if I stumble across something that will facilitate their migration into a tissue, then let's blend the two together. So I release stem cells, and then I, I stimulate, I drive them into tissues. So the first version was those three plants, and then two main plants that are acting as stem cell migrators, if you want. But as I'm sharing this with doctors, I had friends, doctors in Malaysia and Turkey in the Middle East, and uh, I was testing the formula. And one of the doctors told me, you know, when I blend stem regen with ginseng, I get better results from my patients. So I start to dive into ginseng and I find, I found a number of studies documented how notoginsen, so the original Chinese ginseng uh, that takes like if, uh, at least seven years to grow and then your land will be three to five years infertile. Uh, so you need to furlough that land for five, five, five years to be able to have another crop. So it's your most expensive ginseng because it takes long time to, 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 to grow. Anyway, that ginseng adds specific notoginsenocytes that had been documented to act as stem cell mobilizers. So we then added that to stem regen. So the formula slowly grew to what it is today with the five top plants documented to release stem cells and the two main ingredients that we have documented drive migration of stem cells out of the blood into the tissue. That's what stem regen is. That's awesome. So how long has it been on the market now for this, this last it, version? Yeah, this last version here in the US about two years. Two years. Okay. Yeah. And I know that we are getting some, I mean, again, structure function, but it's hard to discount when you're seeing some, some testimonials of, of people that have had burns. And I think the, I guess the question is, it's a, it's a deviation. What are the things that uh, can ultimately increase the acceleration of depletion of releasing of stem cells? The reason I'm asking this is is more in the chronic health, the chronic stress, right? As we uh, and I've heard you talk about chronic stress and how somehow that is those those stem cells are less effective. Right then, then an acute stress that knows where to go, how to get signaled, how to get utilized and migrate and differentiate. But as far as the uh, chronic stress, maybe that's why the ginseng is so so helpful in that regards. But I guess maybe we just switching it up a little bit is what are the things that accelerate the 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 loss of stem cells? I am not aware of anything that has been studied to show what accelerates the depletion of stem cells. And we need to be clear, depletion is a word that is used for two different phenomenon. And it, we need to really understand the difference. There is your red marrow that shrinks into yellow marrow as we age. Uh, and so we're born with red marrow everywhere. As an adult, red marrow remains in the skull, the sternum, the rib cage, the pelvis, and the head of the long bones. But as we age, even that shrinks. And the main source of stem cells will be your pelvic bone. Um, so, so that continues to shrink. I'm not aware of anything that has been documented to accelerate that shrinking or prevent it. You can stimulate the proliferation of stem cells in the red marrow with human growth hormones and hyperbaric chamber treatments. These are the two things that I, that I'm aware of. The one thing that you can do to, that, that is known to, so, sorry. So this is in the bone marrow. So, so far, nothing is known. I think it's, it belongs to future research to determine, is there something that we can do to slow down that conversion? If we can find something like this, it probably would be the optimal longevity uh, thing to do, is to slow down that, that conversion, because you age because of that, that depletion of stem cells in the bone marrow. Now, that red marrow that you have today, or in five years, or in 10 years, that red marrow produces stem cells at the same rate. So if you stimulate the release of stem cells from that red marrow, you don't deplete that red, that red marrow. It's like a well. If you take more water from the well, the level of your well won't change. It keeps producing. Now, those stem cells are released from the bone marrow. So we call that, so because sometimes the word depletion or exhaustion is used. And exhaustion is not that phenomenon. That is conversion. And it's, it, it happens whether you like it or not. 
these stem cells will reach tissues and they will replenish the stem cell layer of your organs and tissues in your body. These organs and tissues are subjected to stress, degeneration, cellular loss. And as you age, that cellular loss accelerates. And there's a point that stem cell layer gets depleted in its ability to maintain that tissue. That is when that tissue organ starts to experience a significant phase of decline. Stem cell layer is depleted or exhausted. The only thing that you can do to support that tissue now is to put more stem cells in circulation so that they can go and replenish that stem cell depletion in the tissues. So when we look at the hallmarks of aging, which is stem cell exhaustion, that's in your tissues. And that you can only change this by releasing stem cells from the bone marrow. Does that make sense? Yes, yes. Endogenous stem cell mobilization. Correct. Correct. Right. Correct. Gotcha. Now that's it's it's fascinating. I guess the follow-up question I have is I know that you heard, were conducting research uh, in France with IBS-like patients that have such tremendous turnover. Has that been concluded at all? No, that study has actually not started yet. Uh, we're still we're still waiting. Uh, a lot of these studies were waiting uh, on receiving uh, all of our first round of investment. Now it's completed. So now we're starting all these studies. So we have a study on congestive heart failure that is ongoing. We started to have preliminary data. So I'm, I'm working on the first publication. We are starting a study on Parkinson actually this month uh, in December. Uh, and we have one on IBS that is ready to start. So it's just a matter of, of initiating that study once the one on Parkinson has started. Uh, and we're targeting those based on what we find in the scientific literature, but also what we have seen over the past you know, 15, 20 years that I've been doing this. So we have had a number of cases of people who had had very significant improvements on cardiac function. And that is why we basically now started a study on congestive heart failure. So we are now a little over a year in that study. We have a limited number of patients, about 10 patients per group. But what we can show is that indeed, releasing your own stem cells can have a significant impact on cardiac function. All the patients so far in the study after six months are normalized. So that study is done to compare a blend of these plant extract that release stem cells with stem cell injections. So when that is completed, we'll publish all that data. We're starting a, a study on Parkinson because we have seen those kinds of cases in the past and IBS or, or digestive issues is the same because you have a new lining of the intestine every five days. It is an area of your body that depends entirely on your supply of stem cells. The day that you have, not the day, but when you have a disease like uh, ulcerative colitis or any kind of, of, of issues in the gut, your um, attempt to repair the problem exhausts locally that layer of stem cells. When you have reached stem cell exhaustion in that area, that's when you as a patient now experience an acute phase. Now you have bleed in your blood in your stool. Now you have cramp. Now you have like what it is. You, the tissue can no longer repair. The only way to make it repair is to put more stem cells in circulation that will replenish the stem cell layer, give a break to that area, and then that area will be able to start to function normally. You have not resolved the issue. You need to keep digging and finding what's the cause of it, but at least you have given functionality uh, to that tissue and relief. So we have seen many of these cases over the years. There's a lot of studies showing that stem cell injection can have an effect on digestive conditions like this. So that is why we have that kind of condition as one of our next studies. Right. No, fascinating. So add that to the list of if, if you take longer to recover from the gym, if you take longer to heal from a cut, and if you have any GI issues that are out of hand like that, then you know you've depleted your, your stem cells and uh, you need to support uh, endogenous stem cell mobilization. So as far as a parting question, and thanks for all your time, Christian, I always like, you know, the age, this is the Age Reversing Blueprint podcast, and I guess it's kind of an easy question for you, but what do you wish you would have known then that you know now that could have maybe slowed your rate of aging <laughs> or been more helpful um, knowing the information that you do know now? 
Well, on the stem cells, I mean, I've been doing this for like 20, what, 22 years. Uh, so I started to consume these products every day, you know, for the past 20 some years. So that one I've been, I've been with it for quite some time. But of the things that I know today that I wish I would have known before, it's probably all the things that are around what it, in my world, stem cell function is the core of human health. I mean, I'm saying this to say, you have a cold, what are you going to do if you have a cold? You'll support your immune system. I mean, it's the first thing that comes to mind. What are you going to do if you have an injury? We have a process, a degenerative process in your body. Well, you will tap into your regenerative system, which is your repair system. It's your stem cells. So it's almost like, to me, it's the core. But then there are other things around it. So when a stem cell gets into a tissue, it starts to multiply, it starts to age the end of its life is going to be a senescent cells. So along the way, we can use senolytics to make it so that when you have a senescent cells, it doesn't stay around and start to be just an old cell not doing a job. You know, sometimes I tell people, it's a little bit like a soccer team. If you've got a 60, a 70 year old guy in your soccer team, do you want to give him another five years or do you want to just make him retire and bring another 15 year old? So. That's what stem cells do. So let's have those senescent cells kick the bucket by using senolytics. Take your aging cells, rejuvenate by using autophagy and release stem cells to rejuvenate your tissues with new cells. That kind of knowledge, I, I known this 15 years ago, I would start it right away to combine all of those together. Stem cells with senolytics with autophagy. Uh, yeah, and then yeah. probably strategies that are going to help the body we accumulate as we age as we age many garbage much garbage if you want in the body chelation has to be part of your strategy when you cross 50 do chelation do things fast have fasting i mean i've done that for many years but these are the things that we need to do to just cleanse the body and allow this native ability innate ability to repair to do its job naturally that's and the awesome. last one, the last one, if I could add this one, is to understand, I mean, this is more, I'm, I'm, I'm a scientist, but I've been meditating for years. And if I were to say, if there's one thing that plays an enormous role in overall health is how peaceful you are in your own head. You know, so many problems in your life comes from overthinking everything. So peace of mind is to me like a core aspects of human health. So add that to your old arsenal, if you want, of longevity. And uh, don't do it for longevity, doing for the peace of mind and what it really brings to you. But it will become one of your main tool here in, in longevity. No, it's awesome. I, I I agree with everything that you said. And I like to keep that analogy running in terms of if you if you're if you treat your body like a business and your expenses exceed your 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 income, you're not going to be in business for very long. So I, I like to think of it that way. So the company You know, Joel, yeah. I'm sorry, I, I like this analogy because you I've used this analogy a lot. So I think it's it's a good place to summarize everything we've talked about. To me, stem cells is like your bank account. How many stem cells you have in your blood? is your bank account. How many you release is your income. How many cells you lose in your tissue is your expenses. Your body is like your bank account. When you're young, you've got plenty of red marrow. So you can lose as many cells as you want. You never even notice it. So you don't think about your health in your 20s. Like you hear somebody talking about health and you don't even know what it refers to because you're Superman in your 20s and you're you know, in your teens. And then at some point, the day that your income no longer meet your expenses, and now you start to have a deficit in your bank account, you're still not bankrupt. You just start to realize, oh man, my body is not like it used to be. The bankruptcy, which is the disease, will come down the road as you slowly have this deficit every day. That's exactly, it's, it's an amazing image for what stem cells are. And, and a lack of funds, if can be for you not being able to pay your mortgage, somebody else not be able to pay their study, somebody else is their car payment, somebody is their health payment. So it's it's it could be health, houses, it can be many different things. But at the end, it's all if a, a lack of money in your body is the same thing. For one person, it's diabetes. Somebody else, it's hypertension. Somebody else, it's heart disease. Somebody else, it's digestive issues, uh, liver degeneration. But for all of them, the core cause is not enough stem cells to go and repair what is their weak link, weak link in their body. Yeah. I think it's an amazing analogy.
Yeah. And, you know, with bringing your uh, with the mind and not overthinking that accelerates your overhead, accelerates your expenses, it depletes your income even further. Right. Absolutely. So why not have that work for you? Awesome information, Christian. I, I'm excited to see the progress that you make and would love to continue to support your mission. And um, I'll have links to how they can get the the product in, in the show notes and on the description of this video and would love to keep an open invitation for a part two somewhere down the road. Absolutely. Thank you so much. That was a, that was a great discussion. Hi, thank you so much for watching our Age Reversing Blueprint podcast. If you've made it this far, we sincerely thank you for your attention and your interest in reversing your age. If you're looking to get more information on today's topic or other podcasts that we've had, be sure to check out the show notes and be sure to check out drjoelrosen.com. Have an awesome day.